in a minute, Adewali is going to be continuing our disciples series and looking at the rhythm of prayer. But before he does that, we're going to just read Psalm 27. So if you have a Bible, I appreciate most people have them on their phone now. And do look at that Psalm, that's Psalm 27, and I'll be reading it and it should appear on the screen behind me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me and my my heart will not fear, though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. In the Anglican tradition, this is the word of the Lord. And everyone would say, thanks be to God. Let's make Addy feel really welcome as he comes up. Wait for the Lord. And that's what we're currently doing um, in our 40 days um, of prayer and fasting. We're waiting, we're waiting for the Lord and, and we are praying. And in, in recent weeks, um, we, we've, had, we've had quite a few people um, speak to us on prayer, uh, the power of prayer. Um, John, uh, Terry Vargas uh, spoke to us on, on, on praying in the spirit. Um, we've looked at the Lord's prayer, our Father who art in heaven, and to go beyond just the words so we can understand the spirit behind that. Um, We've had the devotional for seven days. Um, we've had the devotionals. Have we looked at it? Um, if, we, if you haven't, well, thank you. Well done. <laughs> if you don't have, like um, Elizabeth said, please um, take one. It's very important to take one um, at the end of the service. It's at the back of the auditorium. And we've had the devotional um, tell us about using prayer as first instinct, being authentic in prayer. Um, Praying, spending time in God's presence helps us to recognize God's voice and we can resist in prayer. A prayer is about relationship 
So we've looked at all this stuff. We've had the kids come here this morning uh, to, to pray for us and, well, and speak to us. Um, Claire spoke to us about what she felt hearing God, you know, um, to do with praying. Uh, this morning, I'm, I'm going to be continuing on, on, on that theme, so to speak. I'm looking at the rhythm of prayer. Um, this time, I'm looking at how can we make this flow naturally out of a place of relationship with God. So I'm looking at the rhythm of prayer. And it is all about relationship. Praying is all about relationship. I know a lot of people have made a lot of things about it. But God made us for relationship. In the Garden of Eden, we read in the Bible in Genesis that the first thing we noticed between God and man was relationship. God will come down in the cool of the day and he will fellowship with Adam. And he spoke to Adam. You know, he brought the animals before Adam and Adam named them. Adam communicated with God as well. And God listened, listened to Adam. And in our devotional, we've been hearing that God is speaking to the whole world. Not just a select few people, not just Christians. No, God is speaking to the whole world in Psalm 19 and 1. He says, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. So God is speaking to us through creation. But are we listening? When we look in the night skies, what do we see? What do we think? When you look at the sky, when you look at the stars, when you look at even animals, the planets, do you, do you say, wow, God is wonderful? Or do you bring out your science book and say, oh, what does science books say about that? You know, God, God is speaking to us. And if that is not enough, God has actually sent his son to speak to us. In the book of Hebrews, it says, in, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So God is not only speaking to us by this creation. He has spoken to us by his son. And in John, he says, my sheep hear my voice. And I call my sheep by name and I lead them out. God is calling us. Why is God calling us? He is calling us because he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to have a relationship with us. Our devotional says, the better we know someone, the easier it is to recognize their voice. Do you recognize God's voice? You know, this morning I shared a story about what time, something that happened um, a few years ago when my daughter, she's, she's now 15, and she was about four or five then. We went shopping in Sainsbury's, uh, and she got missing for a few seconds, maybe 10, 15 seconds. You know, she went, we turned around, we couldn't see her. The next thing, I had her calling my wife's name. Oh, she was belting out, Shola, Shola, Shola. And then she called the full name, Adeshola. And then we said, oh, that's Janelle. You know, so we turned around, you know, we followed the voice and went to the next dollar. And there she was. You know, when we got home, we asked her, we said, you don't normally call her by her first name. You, you call her mom. You know, you call her mom or mommy. And I said, well, why did you do that? She said, um, I thought if I called her mom, there are loads of moms here. You know, <laughs> so I could be anybody's child. You know, so I thought, hmm, I must call her by her first name. And we recognized her voice. Because there is a relationship. She is family. You know, we recognized that voice, and that voice led us to the next aisle, and there she was, teary eyes. You know, and that's what God is doing. God is calling us into a relationship. God wants to lead us out. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I call my sheep by name, and I lead them out. 
David says, the Lord leads me in straight paths. The Lord leads me in the right path. The Lord leads me in path of righteousness. The question is, do you, for yourself, know the Lord's voice? Would you recognize his voice when he calls you? Or do you know the Lord's leading? The key to being led by God is knowing the Lord's voice. If anyone doesn't want to go astray, the key to being led by God, by God is knowing the Lord's voice. And the key to knowing the Lord's voice is spending time in his presence. It takes time to build that relationship. And that includes spending time in his presence. In Psalm 27, we saw the story of a man, or the outcry of a man who loved to spend time in God's presence, David. David said, one thing I asked from the Lord, this only will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David said, one thing I ask of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell. You know, dwelling involves waiting. When you are a dweller in a place, you are not a visitor. So it involves tiring, waiting, not rushing. This is not two hours prayer meeting, two hours, I'm sorry, it's not, it's not a two minute prayer in the morning. It's not a two minute devotional reading in the morning. It is waiting, dwelling in the presence of God. And it's not a one-off thing. Relationships are not built on one-off encounters. It says, I will, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So to develop a rhythm of prayer, we need to come into God's presence and wait. And then we need to do it often, regularly, day by day. You know, he said to gaze, to look intently, admiringly, expectantly, thoughtfully, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to listen. What is God saying? Now, as we, as we, as we pray, maybe we're reading the scriptures, we are gazing on the Lord. What is he saying? We are looking in, intently, we are looking expectantly to seek him. When we come to the presence of God, it's an opportunity to seek him. It's an opportunity to pray, to inquire of him. So if David's one thing this morning, if David's one thing is, David's one greatest desire is, is the presence of the Lord. What is one thing that you seek more than anything else? I mean, there was a time when David faced a lot, a lot, there was a lot of um, turmoil in his life because of his sin. David cried to the Lord. He said, whatever happens to me, take not your spirit from me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. So if David's one thing is the presence of God, what is the one thing that you want above everything else? And the plan of this series we are having, not just today's sermon, the plan of this series is to help us develop this rhythm that flows into a relationship, a rhythm of prayer, rhythm of scripture, rhythm of, of, um, of, of community, the plan is to help us, help us develop this rhythm, this relationship that flows. The plan definitely is not to guilt trip us, you know, to lead in us with more things to do, you know, more, more legalistic rituals, pray this time, pray that time. But to help us develop a rhythm that flows naturally from a relationship with God. I know for many of us, that is our hard desires. For the vast majority of us, if I say to you, is prayer a good thing? You will agree with me, praying is a good thing. If I ask you, is praying every day a good thing? You will agree with me, praying every day is a good thing. If I say, is reading the Bible a good thing? You will agree with me, reading the Bible is a good thing. But the question is, why do we find it so difficult? Why? Why don't we find joy in it? 
Bible says men ought to pray always and not to faint. But we faint when we hear 40 days fasting. We, we faint. It says pray about everything. Be anxious for nothing. But when we hear about prayer, we become anxious. So why? Why, why is prayer such, such a difficult thing? Why, why doesn't it flow naturally? Why is it not a rhythm? So this morning, I'm going to be looking at four obstacles. Four things, I believe, can stop the flow of that rhythm in our lives. Uh, the four things I'll be, I'll be speaking about and then looking at the ways to overcome these obstacles. Uh, one, sin. Sin as an obstacle that can stop the flow or the rhythm of prayer. Number two, religious legalism. Number three, a fear of disappointment. And number four, having wrong priorities. You can see it on the screen behind me there. Number one, we're talking about sin. How can sin stop the flow of our relationship with God or stop us from having a rhythm with God? How can legalism, fear of disappointment, and having the wrong priorities stop us? Sin. Christians are not perfect. And that is the reality. I know sometimes we do pretend that we're perfect, especially on Sunday mornings, but we, we're not. And that is the reality. And sometimes because we are not perfect, when we fall and when we stumble, the first instinct is to run away from God. That's what Adam did. When Adam fell in the Garden of Eden, the first thing he did was to run away from God. God came, probably was there previous night, right? And then he came and, and he was like, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, God, I'm hiding. Why? Why are you hiding? Because I've done something wrong. And that can happen to us. And the devil takes advantage of that. The devil you know, fills, up with all, um, fills us with all kind of guilt and accusations and condemnation and discouragement and even adds Bible passages on it. So, oh, you can't pray now. God cannot be all sin. But that is not the reality of it. Even in the Old Testament, God did not say to the people, when you stumble and fall, never come into my presence. But what he did instead was he created for them an avenue to go through the high priest and to make sacrifices for the atonement of their sin. And Jesus has done much more than that for us. We cannot hide from God. You know, God sees everything. You know, everything is open before him. The writer of Hebrews says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before God. God knows the thoughts of our hearts. He knows every lustful thought, every judgmental look. He knows every pride of the heart. So why run from him if he sees everything? It is laid bare before him. And not only that, the Bible says we must give account. I say to you that if we must give account to God, do you want to do it now? While you can get repentance? Or do you want to do it when it's too late? I would say I would love to do it now. And the Bible says we have an avenue. It says we have a high priest in Jesus Christ who has paid the price for us and who intercedes for us. Hebrews 4, 16, sorry, Hebrews 4 from verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us 
in our time of need. The Lord does not want struggling sinners, or sorry, struggling believers who stumble to run away from fellowship with him. But instead, he said to us, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. When we are sick, we don't run away from the doctors. No, when we are sick, when we don't feel well, we don't say, ah, oh, the doctors, um, they deal with health stuff, people who are well, and so we're not going to go near them. So when we are struggling, we shouldn't run away from the Lord. Why? He says, because we have a high priest who can empathize with our weaknesses. He has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. For some of us might say, mm, if he never sinned, then he could never understand me. No, he's been tempted, yes, but he never sinned. So how can he understand me? And I made this illustration in the first service. I said, imagine you have two men on a weight loss diet. And they had to attend um, a friend's birthday party, right? And they got there, and this guy's got just burgers. He has just burgers spread out everywhere. And once you've had your burger, you can have um, some servings of um, ice cream and cakes as desserts. No, but these guys are on a weight loss plan, you know, but they had to attend this friend's birthday party. And they got there, and it was all burgers everywhere. And they said, this is very tempting, but we mustn't give in to this. You know, so both of them endured one hour. They went by. Everywhere they turned, somebody was biting, you know, or scooping ice cream. Second hours, they went through. And at the, at the end of the second hour, one of the friends said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. Just this, just this once, I'm going to take a bite. And he did. But the second friend went all day until the evening, and he left the party. He never gave in to that temptation. Now, tell me, who suffered more? Was it the one that endured for two hours or the one that went the whole day? Surely the one that went the whole day suffered the most, even though he never gave in. And if you were on a weight loss diet and you have to go to such a party, who would you go to for advice? The one that gave in in two hours? That's men like us? Or the one that endured and never gave up? And that is Jesus Christ. The Bible says he was tempted in every single way, yet he did not sin. So, consequentially, he said, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence because he understands us so that we may receive mercy. And that is what someone who is struggling needs, not condemnation. And Jesus Christ says, uh, the, the, the Bible says, there is therefore no condemnation. And Jesus Christ says he doesn't condemn anyone. God did not send his son into the world to condemn, the, to judge the world. He says, let's let them approach the throne of grace that they may receive mercy and find grace. In the book of Titus, it says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. Now, that's what you can learn from a place of fellowship with Jesus. God is light. And if we have any dark areas in our lives, we ought to run to him. There's no darkness in him. David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Before David could say, one thing I desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord. He said, the Lord is my light. And the Bible says, when we fellowship in the light, when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus does what? Cleanses us. We're not in denial of it because it says, if we say we have no sin, we are lying. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us. And in the place of confession, we gain access into his presence. And as we are in his presence, we continue to gaze on him. And that is where change happens. 
We cannot save ourselves. And God is offering us an opportunity to continually come before him. So we shouldn't, have, we shouldn't let our sin break our rhythm of relationship with God. Another thing that I, I believe is it's, 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 um, an hindrance, a distraction to developing a rhythm of prayer and a rhythm of discipleship, actually, it's legalism, religious legalism. Because many of us, we've grown up in environments where there's been a lot of uh, religious rituals and, and burden and legal requirements placed on us. And Jesus Christ himself lived in that time. During his time, they told his disciples, oh, you, you, don't, you, you don't wash your hands this way before you eat. You don't even fast. And Jesus Christ healed on the Sabbath. They couldn't do this. Day. And many of us, we've, we've been in environments like that. Yeah, people say you have to, there are certain words you have to say in prayers. There are certain times, I know from my culture, there's the belief that the time um, you need to, for the time prayer is most effective is midnight. I mean, people from my culture here yeah, will, will acknowledge that. And people struggle and say, I have to get up at midnight because that's when the battle is up. And then, and you can and all of this religious legalism and, and rituals, I mean, it, it's taking the passion out of us because these things are so ritualistic as well. It isn't what God wants from us. You know, there's no power to it. And these things, this, this discourage us. You know, so what do we do? What do we do? Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says, when you pray, go into your room, close your door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Because prayer is a relationship with God. He says, go into your room. Does that mean that's the only place you can pray? No. But he's saying this is a private stuff. It's between you and your father, shut out all distraction. Be there. David says, one thing I desire is that I may dwell. When you're there and distractions are shut out, you're dwelling in the presence of God. It doesn't matter for how long, but you're there. And you shut out the door, you shut out distractions, and you pray to your father. And he says, when we pray to our father, we should be expectant. He says, your father who is unseen will reward you. Meaning when we go to our fathers, we should be expectant. We should say what we mean and mean what we say. Now, when we go to God, if you are anxious, it's enough to just say, Lord, I'm feeling very anxious. Please help me. And you just wait on him. I mean, you don't have to go thinking, someone's told me if you come into the Lord's presence, you have to come with praise and thanksgiving. And then I have to remember the names of God. And then you go and then you do all this stuff. And, and you get tired. You forget the reason you're there. You know, if, if, you're, if, if you're there because of anxiety, say to him, Lord, I'm anxious. If you're there because you need help, whatever kind of help, financial help, academic help, help at work, just go to him and thank him for the job and say, Lord, I, I need help. And then when you've said what you mean, mean what you say, mean what you have said. It means that stand up from that place, believing. Prayer requires believing. It is very simple. Just lay the burden there. Say, cast your burden on me because I care for you. Just believe. And the Bible says, your father who is unseen will reward you. So I believe if we lay aside all the rituals, all the hypocrisy of prayer, you know, all the religious lingo we use, some of, sometimes, you know, we say all these words and we don't, we don't really know the meaning of them. And if I say blessing, even if someone, if an unbeliever comes to you and say, oh, that word in the Bible, bless, what does it mean? I mean many of us will struggle. Say with that word, but we use these words every day when we don't really mean them. But the Bible says, just come to your father. It's a relationship. You know, if we strip out these things, we will develop a healthy rhythm of prayer and, and a wonderful relationship with our father. 
I think the third thing that could be an hindrance to developing a rhythm of prayer is a fear of disappointment, fear of disappointment. Many of us on personal levels, we've had people who have disappointed us, so we've become independent. You know, we don't like to rely on people anymore because you say, you know what, I can't trust people. I can't trust anyone. And subconsciously, we've, we've brought that into our Christian lives. Subconsciously, we believe that even God, even prayer cannot change our situations. So because of the fear of disappointed, uh, disappointment, we have not been able to develop a good rhythm of prayer. But for others of us, it isn't really because people have disappointed us. It's because we feel that we are afraid and things have not gone the way they ought to have gone. So we feel God himself has disappointed us. We don't know how we can ever trust, how we can ever have such faith again in prayer. I mean, I've been there before. I've been where I've prayed, and I've really prayed. And the worst thing I could ever... In fact, the thing, I, I, I didn't share it this, uh, this morning, and I, I don't want to share it now. But I've, I've prayed, and even while I was praying... The stuff that I was praying for, the opposite happened while I was there. And I was very disappointed. And it, it always happens like that. And when it happens, you know, we feel like, you know what, how can I ever pray again? You know, how can I ever pray? And that breaks the rhythm. But the Bible says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them. You see, God's plans are not our plans. God's plans are not our plans. His ways are not our ways. But God's plans for us extend, he expands into eternity. And sometimes God's perfect will overrides our own will. God is not saying our troubles are inconsequential. You know, he's not talking down on our troubles. You know, but he's saying in the light of eternity, in the light of heaven, where there will be no more cry, no more tears, no more death, a saying, in the light of that, our troubles is really nothing to compare with. And this is the hope that we have. It's a living hope. Peter said in First Peter 1, he said, God has given us a living hope through Jesus Christ that can never perish, spoil, or fade. We have a living hope, no matter what we go through. And we should have a living rhythm of relationship with God. So somebody might say, does that mean all our confidence, all our hope should just be heaven focused and we forget it on, um, here on earth? Um, and by the way, something else I noticed, when we feel disappointed by God, the first thing we do is we throw away this confidence anyway. You know, we don't feel like coming back. We, we've, we used to be people who pray for everything. You know, we used to be people who advise other people to pray. But because of disappointment, we've, we've thrown away the confidence. So does that, does, does that mean our confidence should just be heaven-focused, nothing on earth? I don't think so. Because David said, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And God has not forsaken us. Yes, sometimes God's divine will overrides our own human will. But we remain confident of this, that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that encourages us to come back, come back into that place of fellowship with God. David says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. It takes strength. It takes courage. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. God will never give up, give up on us. God will never abandon us to run this race on earth in our own strength. So I'm saying to anyone who is feeling disappointed, 
because something they've asked for in the past hasn't happened. I'm saying, don't throw away your confidence. And remain confident of this, that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And finally, um, a fourth obstacle to developing a rhythm of prayer, the fourth thing I believe um, hinders us developing this rhythm of prayer, I think it's our priorities. We do get our, for most of us, we do really get our priorities wrong. What do I mean by that? We put prayer at the bottom of our priority list. We wake up in the morning and you think about the school runs, you think about work. Some of us even log in very early, you know, to send some emails or chat with someone on Teams. And, and we feel like prayer is completely inconsequential. Why? Because deep, deep down, we don't think prayer can affect or affect our lives in any way. You know, prayer is relegated to the bottom of the pile. And this is a wrong thing. You know, we think, oh, I'm just, I'm just too busy. I can't find time to pray. It was Martin Luther that said, I have so much to do. I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. And that should be our mindset. When we have so much to do, that's when we even have the need to come to God in prayer. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he gave us a good example himself. Even he relied on his father. And Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And it wasn't until after he fasted that he began his ministry. And after he fasted, he received divine power, divine enablement. The Bible says he went straight into the temple. He took up the scroll and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he's, he's just spent time in the presence of his father and has received divine enablement. On another occasion... Jesus was about to choose 12 disciples that would change the course of the, of, of the Christian um, journey. You know, he went, the Bible says he spent all night praying. And in the morning, after praying all night, he came and he chose the 12 disciples. And that should be our mindset. Without Christ, we can do nothing. When we have so much to do, that means we should spend the first few hours praying. Or the first few minutes praying. Because we need divine enablement. We need divine empowerment. I wonder how much easier our days will be if we don't rush into them. And if we spend the first few minutes praying, spend the first few hours praying, I wonder how much easier our days will be. So this morning, what are some of the things we can do to bring prayer into our daily routine? What are some of the things we can do to, bring, to make prayer a rhythm for us? One, we can start by following the devotionals here. I know it hasn't been easy, and I have to confess it hasn't been easy. Sometimes I read it in the morning and sometimes in the evening, and maybe I've been following it knowing that I don't want to be a hypocrite when I stand here. You know? <laughs> so I can say, you know what, I'm up to date on it, and I am up to, well, apart from today, yeah. <laughs> but but if, if, we, if we find within these 40 days, we can use this, as a test to see if we can create time, you know, to develop this rhythm with God. This is a test for us. You know, there are prayer points there. There are devotionals there. There are Bible passages there. And we just, just create their 24 hours in a day. We can just create time and by following this. Another thing we can do is we can practice being conscious of God's presence by saying short prayers all day. You know, just practice being, being in God's presence. You're getting on the train. Say, God, I commit the train journey into your hands. You know, you're getting into work. God, I commit today's work into your hands. You're going to school, uni. God, I commit my studies into your hands this morning. Just 
short burst of prayers like that. And, and you, you, can, you will sense some of the most effective prayer in terms of seeing answers almost immediately that I've said is just, God help me, I don't know what to do. Mostly at work. You know, when, when I'm in over my head, I just say, God help me. And, and we can do that. We can resolve to pray about everything. We can develop an attitude that says, every decision we are making, we're going to pray about it. Going to pray before you buy that. You're going to pray before you buy that. And, and that way we develop this relationship of always constantly talking to God. And finally, one thing I think we can do, for which I, I believe many of us shall find the time to do, is replace non-value-added things with studying the Bible and meditating and spending time in God's presence. Non-value-added thing, like watching Netflix series. I wonder how many hours we spend on YouTube, on Instagram, reels upon reels upon. I'm doing my fingers like that, right? It means I must be, <laughs> I must be doing it at home as well. Oh, this reel is nice, and then, and then you like that and say, "Don't show me that anymore." And how many? And if we can just, I mean, some of us people will come to us and say, "You know what? Can can you recommend a good movie for me?" Say, "Do you want Disney Plus or Netflix or Prime?" And we can say, oh, you know, you, oh, that series is good and that series is good. But when someone comes to you and says, I'm struggling, can you recommend a good Bible passage for me on anxiety? Then, can you speak to Pastor John? <laughs> you know, so we can replace non, this non-value added stuff. You know, and, and as we try to bring God into our routine, into our everyday, we'll find that prayer becomes more of a relationship thing. We cut out all the legalistic rituals. We cut out all the things people have told us we've struggled with. And we come into the presence of God. And if we wake up in the morning and the devil says, you don't have time for prayer. You have a lot in front of you. And we should say, like Martin Luther, I have so much to do, but I shall spend some time in prayer. Amen? Amen. Amen.